Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech Asia Pacific series. As in Voice of Fintech podcast so far, here you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, corporate innovators, investors, ecosystem hub leaders from or close to the world of fintech. Asia Pacific series will be hosted by amazing hosts based in the region, speaking to the leaders from Asia Pacific. Here is another one hosted by Chia. Hi, my name is Chia, principal at Saison Capital, and today I am hosting the Voice of Fintech Asia Pacific podcast. I am joined today with Benedicto Hayono, CEO of Coinworks, one of Indonesia's largest P2P SME lending platforms, and Adrian Lee, Managing Director of AC Ventures, one of Indonesia's leading investors and a co-investor with Saison Capital for Coinworks. Welcome and thanks for joining us. It is a pleasure to have founders and investors of your caliber and with your expertise of the Indonesian tech scene today talking about what you've seen. Ben, thank you so much for, ha- for, for, for being here. You've had you know, very significant operating experience in Indonesia. Can you introduce yourself and the team behind Coinworks and, and let us understand a little bit about the story behind how and why you started to build Coinworks? Thanks, yeah. It's also a pleasure uh, to be invited uh, to speak and to share uh, about a little about Coinworks. Um, so I think uh, yeah, it's been uh, almost five years since uh, we, we started uh, the journey with Coinworks. Uh, it really started as, as a mere idea, as a, as a vision uh, between uh, me and my co-founder, Will, um, where we, we set out in the beginning to, uh, I think, look for ideas yeah, uh, as, a, as a more a social venture that, uh, yes, we, uh, we want uh, to kind of like, uh, of course, make a viable business out of it, but at the same time, also make a, an actual impact um, to, uh, to, to the country, right? And we do notice that there's a lot of need uh, uh, for the people where I think the majority or a big portion of the population uh, comes from uh, less well-to-do families, right? Even though Indonesia has is a land of opportunities, uh, these guys who come from uh, less well-to-do backgrounds uh, don't have the tools or resources to capitalize on those opportunities. And uh, I think a big portion of that actually really comes from financial access, whether it's from the funding, from background for to, to reach a better education, uh, connections, all these things, uh, a big portion uh, can, can be attributed to those uh, financial access. And, and that's why when uh, we started looking at the idea of marketplace lending or fintech lending, how it has evolved in uh, different countries, uh, we noticed also that it actually has done better in developing countries in terms of growth yeah, and the potential for them to grow. And, and that's why uh, after we did quite a bit of research, a lot of digging as well with the local bankers, uh, we finally decided to, uh, hey, uh, what the hell, we, we just jump in and try it out. I mean, we can do research as, as long as we want, you know, but if we don't actually do it, uh, it's, um, it remains an idea on paper, right? Uh, without actually doing it. And uh, lo and behold, of course, after uh, five years in the journey, a lot of uh, the initial assumptions have also kind of like proven wrong. I think that the most important parts have, have stayed true, you know, um, in which that, yeah, there's a lot of uh, people that uh, we have helped in, in building uh, better lives, better businesses, accelerate their growth. Um, and yeah, we have had a lot of stories to share about, about these people's successes, and which we do. Uh, we normally like uh, share these kind of uh, features, uh, stories uh, on a monthly basis to our lenders, communities. Those are stories that inspire us um, to keep on doing and staying true to our mission and at the same time also serves as inspiration 
to a lot of other uh, entrepreneurs, budding entrepreneurs um, in Indonesia. And uh, those are the things that, you know, like um, uh, keep us um, charged up, you know, to, uh, to keep doing what we're doing. And especially uh, through during this uh, COVID times, you know, that uh, we know that we should be able to weather the storm and that we know that uh, we can go back to our mission uh, fully charged up uh, after uh, post-COVID. So in terms of, of the background of the team, we are not like a team of bankers. Uh, yes, bankers probably account for 30% of the team, but the rest of us uh, have engineering background, uh, business backgrounds, I think uh, some consulting as well here and there. So it's a very diverse uh, background in the, in the management team. And we also have had the opportunity and blessing uh, of having guidance from uh, senior bankers, and which also included a central banker, <laughs> uh, to be in our board of advisors. And they've been providing us with, um, I think, a lot of insights into the government policies, networking, and also uh, just general guidance of uh, best practices in, in, in banking in, in decades, how to be prudent in, in our risk management and underwriting. I think it's, um, it has helped us uh, quite a lot, you know, uh, having that diverse team to navigate throughout the years. Got you. Thanks a lot, Ben. It sounds like you've got a really diverse team to navigate Indonesia, both on the institutional side and also, you know, reaching out to millions of people and, and organizations and SMEs within Indonesia. I'd be curious to dive deeper into what you said about how there were some assumptions that you went into this space that turned out to, to not be as, as what you expected. Were there some examples of that you could share? In, in the beginning, for example, uh, we thought getting funding sources uh, would be the most difficult part of, of building the marketplace. Turns out, you know, like uh, after uh, we've done it a, a couple of years, three years, you know, you know, we start seeing that actually getting the qualified borrowers or the borrowers who are within the target market is, uh, is tougher than getting the funding sources. The, the funding was, uh, I think, uh, quite available. I mean, it's not like people just give us money out blindly right but it's it's much more available because indonesia uh, a lot of population also don't have access to decent investment opportunities uh, i mean you look at the stock markets uh here uh it's not as well developed as even as singapore even though our economy is, is bigger than singapore right the amount of investable assets within the stock market or so what we call the blue chips is a handful only and if they want to go into uh, non-equity investments uh, there's also very little options uh, for fixed income because uh, uh, for fixed income, normally you need uh, a bigger uh, capital, except for maybe the, the ORI, which is designed for retail. But it means you only have one product out there if you're into fixed income. So I, I think uh, there's a lot of people looking for yield as well in Indonesia. And uh, hence, that's why uh, in, in certain times during our journey, we had more liquidity than we had uh, the demand for, uh, for loans, at least the loans that we're comfortable lending to. Yeah. Got you. Thanks a lot, Ben. That's an interesting insight about, you know, navigating financial opportunities and trying to spot some of these opportunities in a scalable way in the messiness that sometimes comes about with, with uh, you know, emerging markets. So thank, thanks a lot, Ben, for that. Adrian, you know, it's great to, to have you on, on the call also uh, on, on this podcast. You know, as, a, as an ex-founder yourself turned VC, you've had a super interesting journey so far. Can you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background and your journey um, as an individual from, from founder to VC and, and some of your experiences investing in fintech in Indonesia? Thanks, Chair. It's a pleasure to, to be here. So actually, I also started my career in, in finance. I actually was with JP Morgan and their big team based in London. 
But you know, after that, I always wanted, I always had a passion in technology and I wanted to get into it. So I became a founder first by, after applying to business school and uh, studying at Stanford and started my first business, which was a live on demand online English training business. We launched that in 2006 and uh, after a couple of rounds of funding, managed to sell that business in 2010. Uh, and, you know, it was a really tough journey and a lot of lessons learned. Uh, one of the most important lessons that I learned was the importance of timing, actually, because it was incredibly hard to convert students to uh, studying online back then. You can imagine in 2006, that was the time when the iPhone had only just uh, just launched. So after that first experience uh, as a founder, I actually ended up joining Rocket Internet. And Rocket Internet, as you know as well, are well known as the masters of timing when it comes to starting businesses. And so in that second company that I built, which was an accommodations marketplace in China, uh, I had you know, this firsthand experience of what it was like to build a company when there was really quite perfect product market timing. And so this was in 2008. 11. And we built this company, you know, we were backed initially with $10 million. And we went from you know, zero to half a million nights booked to zero to 200 employees in just six months. And I think that experience really helped for me unleash just the possibilities of how much impact a technology-driven business could have. You know, as compared to my first business, where we were, I think, on the innovation frontier and really doing things that no one had done before in online education. You know, the second business was somewhat following a proven business model uh, of Airbnb and HomeAway in the US, but implementing it in a highly localized way in uh, China. I then you know, later moved to Indonesia with Rocket Internet, but really what sparked my interest to move to Indonesia was taking the experience I had as a founder in an emerging market, applying technology to big problems and developing scalable business solutions uh, for that market. And I felt that you know, looking at Indonesia, this is back in 2012, it really was perfect timing to be moving there uh, with tech experience and a background as a founder uh, as well. So you know, while I moved with Rocket Internet at first, starting an office supplies business, you know, in by by 2013, I'd actually started some work consulting with some of the conglomerates in Indonesia. As you can imagine, most of those businesses are local businesses that are built off traditional business models, and they were really trying to figure out how they could ha implement a digital strategy. We can disrupt themselves using technology. And those relationships with some of those corporates uh, later turned into one where they would back my first fund, Convergence Ventures, in 2014. And uh, you know that's how we got I got that first fund started. And the thesis, you know, then and it is today as well, is really to always invest in the best founders. You know, tackling billion-dollar problems through internet-enabled business models. But at least with Indonesia, to tackle these business problems with somewhat proven or established solutions that we can learn from uh, in more mature markets like China and in uh, India, for example. So CV1 was a $30 million fund, 2015 vintage, in which we invested in 30 companies. You know, FinTech is an area we've had, uh, I think, 
quite some success with with payments companies like Zendit and Payfaz and Mocha, which we sold to Gojek, and also lending, of course, with Coinworks and, and Julo. And what you would have seen uh, as an announcement this year is uh, we merged uh, convergence ventures with my classmate Pandu's uh, early stage fund, Ageti. So no, we're now known as AC Ventures. Overall, we currently manage three funds with over 70 portfolio companies and $100 million in AUM. And we see quite a lot. FinTech continues to be a core interest area for us. And so we have a total of 15 investments in the FinTech space across the three funds that, that we're currently managing. Got you. Thanks a lot, Adrian, for the, for that introduction. Very exciting to, to have someone with your, your experience, especially in the fintech scene. Ben, it would be great to dive a bit deep into to Coinworks. Can you help our audience understand a bit about the Indonesian fintech scene, the scale of the opportunity you're, so, you're solving, and what are some of the products Coinworks currently offers and, and who your target cl- customers, population segments tend to be? Yeah, I, I think Indonesia, like I mentioned earlier, is, is a land of opportunities just because there's a lot of um, underserved population. Uh, when I say underserved, uh, it, it's not just in, in finance, but in a lot of other things. And like Adrian mentioned, I think there's a lot of potential uh, good that technology can bring to people. I mean, Indonesia does not have one, I think, the capability to, to build such a, a, a good measure of infrastructure, right? And secondly, we're also such a big country, not just in terms of population, but geographical uh, coverage, and also the fact that we are not available, right? Um, meaning uh, building infrastructure across the nation is much more challenging uh, feat as compared to a country like, you know, like, which is sort of one landmass. And I think um, the role of technology and how it can enable us to, uh, to lead to it, I think it's, uh, it's going to be crucial to address all these uh, basic challenges. And even in, in lending on its own, we have about, I think, a gap that's estimated at around $50 billion per annum only in the SME segment, the micro and uh, small business segment. And it might be double or triple of that in consumer segment and probably a quadruple of that in mortgage market. So it's, it's, still, such a, it's still such a big, uh, I think, potential that anyone in the market can still address. Even if we look at the, specifically the SME segment uh, and what Coinworks is uh, concentrating on, it's mostly on the SMEs uh, that have digital footprint. And these SMEs tend to be uh, established in the, in the urban areas because that's where the, the more infrastructure in terms of access to uh, 3G and 4G connection is at, right? And there's a lot more educated people around that area. And that might account for maybe about at most half the market opportunity. Um, there's another half that is less addressed at this moment, which is on the more on the rural area, the farmers, the fishermen, um, which still accounts for, I think, about 60%, uh, at least, of the Indonesian uh, labor force, whether it's through formal or informal, mostly through informal, I would say, uh, employment. And I think we are just touching the low-hanging fruit right now, meaning these people that we can have some sort of data for us to help underwrite their career history. But we do notice that there's quite a few startups who's looking at how do we really touch upon people in the rural areas as well. That's the future uh, uh, of the industry too. You know I mean? like, we already know a good portion of the people in the urban areas. It's just a matter of educating the market, expanding the market share, and giving more trust because the industry is still quite young. 
And that, that trust cannot just be established overnight. It has to be built over a number of years. And that's the reality of finance, right? We're, we're a fintech, but first and foremost, we're still also a finance company where trust, customer trust is, um, is something that we have to earn. Um, and that can only be earned through years of solid uh, track record. And I do think that this uh, post-COVID, that track record will be much more proven and much more solid for companies who manage to navigate out of COVID uh, and come out in a good shape. Um, but I think uh, going towards the future, we do think uh, there's a massive opportunity outside of the cities uh, of Indonesia. Got you. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Ben. I think that was very insightful in terms of you know understanding the the scope of the opportunity and the SME segment and what it takes to start to tackle that SME financing um, industry in Indonesia. On that topic, Adrian, you've started companies and operated in, in a bunch of different regions across the world. Can you tell us a little bit about how the Indonesian fintech scene compares to other markets, both globally and, and within Southeast Asia specifically? Sure, Chair. Thanks. So I'd say I've only founded businesses in the e-commerce and I'd say like with education, the education product space. And you know, those businesses, I think, are also quite distinct uh, to, to fintech. Uh, but what I can say is I think fintech is a generally a very localized type of business. Uh, in particular, if you're doing anything with money, it normally requires some form of licensing or government regulation. And so I think that there are quite a lot of nuances and specific differences between countries in a same in the same geographic region, such as Southeast Asia, uh, as well as those between developed uh, countries and uh, developing countries. If I were to draw, I think first, a few differences uh, broadly, I'd say first uh, in developed markets, you know, say like the US and, and, and the UK, as compared to developing uh, in Indonesia, in the US and UK, FinTech is generally a replacement solution. Uh, it's not an access solution. Right? As Ben alluded to where there is a massive population of unbanked and underbanked. You know, this is you know, the reverse in developed markets. So I think on a relative sp- uh, basis, actually the potential for fintech in emerging markets is bigger than that, what you would see uh, in, developed, uh, in developed countries. I think that also translates to a couple of things that we see in terms of execution uh, in these markets. I think a disruption can happen much more quickly. I recall when I was in China, this was in, you know, when I was during 2000 and maybe 10, 11, you know, just seeing the, you know, at that stage, you know, the adoption of WeChat. And then after that, the implementation of being able to WeChat pay and the adoption of that, especially every time in Chinese New Year, when uh, consumers were transferring money to, to each other, the speed at which uh, digital wallets were adopted in China, I think was really quite you know, surprising to everyone. And I recall distinctly, I think in 2014, going going to China, I was, I was fundraising there and embarrassingly, I was taking someone for a dinner and I couldn't pay because they couldn't accept my credit card and they actually did not accept cash because they had no cash to give me change. They would only accept WeChat Pay or you know, Ali, Ali Pay. So you know, I think disruption can happen a lot faster in these emerging markets compared to the developed ones. Uh, I also think, you know, second, there's a lot, there's a range of quite interesting fintech-related businesses that can emerge uh, in emerging markets. And 
you know, this is partly because of uh, you know the lack of these incumbents and the size of the you know underbanked population. You know, there's an emerging sector which we call you know fintech adjacencies where the fundamental model may be lending or uh, some form of uh, you know financial uh, financial services, but the entry point for the company uh, into the market may be actually more of a product software that. Uh, enables businesses to enables investors or uh, lenders to get greater insights into the company, either by transactions or uh, the, uh, the the revenues, so as to be able to underwrite them and provide loans. So I think there are a bunch of quite interesting models that can come out of fintech in, in emerging markets. Got you. Thanks a lot, Adrian. Maybe riding on that point of localization and you know the differences between markets. Going back to, to Ben and diving a bit more into, into CoinWorks, you know, Ben, congratulations on, on recently raising 20 million round led by Kona Capital a few months ago. You know, CoinWorks, I think, is, is by a lot of measures one of the leading P2P platforms in Indonesia. And I'd love to be, understand a little bit better, you know, how you see CoinWorks might have done slightly better than competitors to bring you to where you are today. And if there are any, numbers or metrics that you might be able to share uh, with us today? I think CoinWorks would not have been here today as well without the continued support from our investors, including Adrian, who are our early believers, right? I think uh, it's great that the, the investors have also been quite active um, in, in, the, in the journey of CoinWorks so far, and they continue to support us even throughout the, the COVID times. One of the best achievements, uh, which differentiates us from the uh, from the competitors, probably be the the reach and the access to market that we have built as compared to our competitors. Uh, I'm not sure if you are um, up to date with uh, Daily Social. They've recently been publishing, uh, I think, uh, surveys that they conduct, uh, and it's it's to measure like uh, brand reach, uh, top of mind of uh, mostly young millennials, and within the the fintech lending segment, CoinWorks has Probably almost half the market share as compared to our peers. It's about, I think, about 44, 45% market share in terms of um, usage preferences and uh, top of mind. Um, so I think um, it's, um, we, we, we led the, the competitors by, by such a huge margin. And what we have done well uh, would be mostly on the discipline side, uh, meaning uh, we set up our mission in the beginning. Um, and we stuck to it. Um, I think quite a few of the of the uh, some of our peers might think that okay, the their next success is defined by their next funding round, and that funding round is mostly based on uh, key numbers, and that key numbers is mostly GMV. How much have you lent out? We at Coinworks do not believe that to be our defining KPI. I guess in, in the startup world, there's a lot of temptation in terms of just driving the GMV growth. You look at, for example, um, uh, e-commerce, right? Yes, uh, GMV has grown a lot, but a lot of the e-commerce have also kind of dug in into an unhealthy market behaviors by giving a lot of uh, free discounts, uh, discounts on uh, free deliveries, uh, on uh, on purchasing price, and all these kind of things, right? And and it's such a vicious cycle as well. We at Coinworks, uh, we try not to get into some of these pitfalls, right? Uh, because we know that as, as a financial company as well, we need to be to be building a business that is long, has a long-term feasibility, right? That we can earn 
uh, solid margins on every transaction. Uh, because if you're not profitable on every transaction, meaning you're a failure uh, for a financial company, because we are also responsible for people's uh, money, actually, right? Uh, you can't run a financial company where you're losing money on every transaction. Uh, that's just not a solid foundation. And so I think keeping true to that uh, means that we are also staying true to our target segments, our landing sizes are kind of in the middle of the market. Uh, it's not as big as some of the peers. Some of our peers might be like quadruple of our average landing sizes. So we're kind of in the middle where we think the cost of servicing the customers is still manageable. Uh, at the same time, the margins uh, is also thick enough, I would say, as compared to the upper end of the market, where if you're servicing these people who are already bankable, they would ask for cost of funding, which is much lower, right? Maybe comparable to banks, slightly higher, but comparable mostly uh, to the banks. And for us, those kind of uh, risk and return matrix does not really make sense. And, and that's why I think Coinbox uh, overall, even though GMV-wise, we are not the, the leading player, but in terms of market reach, in terms of our, uh, our quality to, of our book, by some measurements, we're number one or at least top three in the market. Got you. That makes a lot of sense. So this focus really on quality businesses and partners that you work with, you know, focus on sustainability, you know, that has not been stopping Coinworks from being one of the few licensed players in the market, from being one of the market leaders, um, and especially when it comes to some of your key metrics, um, like your low book performance, etc. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks a lot, Ben. Um, on that note, Adrian, you know, as one of the early investors for Coinworks investing in their Series A back in 2018, you must have come across a lot of different companies. And what made you decide to back Coinworks out of all the companies in the region? What is your thought process for investing into Indonesian fintechs in general? We're very uh, intent on trying to back uh, the best founders operating uh, in their field of expertise. And you're building a business is probably the hardest, toughest thing you could possibly do. And you know, the more successful you are, actually, the longer it's going to take. So we look for founders who've got incredible tenacity, grit, and a big vision for what they want to do. So when we met Ben and Willie, you know, they clearly displayed uh, both of this, as well as a very, very good on the ground you know, understanding of you know, what was required in order to build a fintech uh, business in SME lending. You know, SME lending is a sector, particularly lending, is one which you know, it's easy, I think, as Ben alluded to earlier, where you can be showing you know, huge numbers in a short space of time, right? And uh, you know, when you're, the thing is, though, when you're lending money, it's nothing like an e-commerce business where you, know, you might just be subsidizing a little uh, on, on selling phones or computers. If you get your lending business wrong, uh, you, know, you're, you're, you and your investors are going to be severely, severely burned, right? So you know, we liked the, you really uh, found a lot of what we call market uh, founder fit with Ben and Willie uh, there as well, coupled with their local kind of business understanding and execution uh, in building the business. And they were really looking at building the business in a very sensible way for the long term, uh, which had also attracted us. So first and foremost, it was really the founders. 
and the team that they were assembling around them. I think secondly, you know, from from a company because they'd already been established when we we came in. This wasn't a it wasn't a pure seed uh, investment when we came in. But a we liked the Indonesian focused play. Uh, there is not a lot, at least in lending, uh, of network benefits that you can accrue from having a regional business. Uh, and you're having that focus on just getting the Indonesia market right, I think is already a challenge uh, enough. So that was one thing. You know, second, which Ben had mentioned, being focused on the really big opportunity of the SMEs and MSMEs, those you know, 63 million businesses that do not have access uh, to credit, very little access to credit. You know, this was where we saw a huge market opportunity. And you, know, you may be having to do more loans to make up because these are small, uh, short tenure loans that you're making to these businesses. But that is really where you're solving the access to credit problem and you know, really driving a lot of value to Indonesia's economy through providing uh, this type of uh, capital uh, to this audience. I think the third thing which we thought was quite interesting was that you know, Coinworks, I think, was a <clears throat> really a pioneer in Indonesia in opening up uh, in, a, a more balanced and mixed uh, source of funding for uh, you know, for the uh, for the SME loans, and they had already accumulated what was then the largest uh, number of retail investors who were lending on the platform marketplace uh, to the SMEs, and were doing so with you know, really uh, quite efficiently and uh, good. Uh, technology base. So, you know, the mixture of these things on the company side, coupled with you know, the you know, the 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 quality of the founders, you know, is why we decided to back this this team. Got you. That makes a lot of sense, and it definitely has been a very interesting journey so far. Ben, I'd be curious to understand what is the vision for Coinworks this year and beyond. Is there anything that you could share in terms of how you see Coinworks developing and in, in in your product roadmap? Yeah. Um, thank you, Edwin, for the for the praise. But uh, I think really it's a, it goes to the team. I mean, like I, I'm not an, an experienced founder or whatnot, and I wouldn't definitely be as successful if my team wasn't wasn't there. You know, like um, my co-founder and also my C levels, managements, and advisors who've been around uh, that shaped us into what we are today and continue to uh, build the platform. Um, and I think like in terms of Coinlock's vision, it's um, it remains the same. We wish to be able to help uh, Indonesians to be able to realize their aspirations, their dreams, um, by giving them access to a uh, financial solution, right? And that will remain the same throughout the years. Uh, but I do think uh, COVID is, uh, is quite a game changer yeah, for everyone, I think, uh, in all across the industries. And what we see in this crisis is, is quite unprecedented in terms of uh, the brass. And in terms of specifically to SME lending, it has been, I think, such a major impact. Uh, if you look at the previous crisis, the, the major ones, probably 98 uh, in Indonesia, it's quite different. The SMEs in 98 were the first one to rebound. You know, they were quite much, much more resilient. But this COVID is actually hurting the SMEs much more, I would say. First of all, it forces a lot of the SMEs to close down because they are uh, retail-focused businesses. A lot of transactions are done offline, face-to-face. And I mean, a lot of the SMEs are also in the F&B segments. And... I think uh, the other side of it, if they are dealing with the large corporates, the large corporates are also delaying payments. So it does create cash flow issues for, for these guys, right? Uh, but we do think there's a lot of opportunities as well, where a lot of business now are adopting more and more tech solutions, right? And a lot of SMEs, at least the, the more, I would say, nimble ones, 
they are the guys who are very quickly switched into an online sales channels, marketing strategies. And uh, thankfully, Coinox has been one of the strongest players in terms of um, uh, lending or financing uh, e-commerce uh, merchants. And we do continue to envision that we will be enlarging our market share uh, within that segment and secure our, uh, continue to secure our dominant position there. Uh, because uh, we do think that the, this crisis will not be resolved within the next few months. I think it will probably be, I wouldn't say a year. I hope the vaccine comes up before a year. <laughs> but I think a, a good six to nine months range uh, to, to probably continue to Q2 of uh, 2021. Uh, and by then, I think that the consumer trends, the behavior would have been shaped already. Because people start realizing that they can work from home, they can do their groceries mostly online, they can, uh, you know, like, enjoy outdoor activities more, you know, like, the, right now, like, bicycles, we're running out of bicycles in Indonesia. <laughs> can you believe that? <laughs> so, I mean, all these things uh, are already reshaping our behaviors, you know, and we think that the, the businesses are also adapting to these uh, new demands, and I think, like, even going through the, um, the list of uh, fintech lenders, peers in, in, in the market, and even the banks themselves, yeah. Post-COVID, there's going to be a big gap just because everybody has retreated. You know, they have, uh, liquidity has dried up. They have to take care of their internal books and all that. In fact, uh, one of the major e-commerce players, I just had a conversation with them and they mentioned, yeah, Coinworks is probably the only one who's, who's still open to support the, the merchants. And, th- and these guys are, you know, like growing their GMV still on track, you know, and they're, they're doing well throughout the COVID era. And of course, uh, we think uh, having done the fundraise, having had the ammunition, the gunpowder, uh, gives us the flexibility to address uh, the gap in the market throughout the COVID and post-COVID. And we think in terms of the scope of services, I think it's, it's quite a big opportunity. I mean, I can't disclose uh, too much yet, but given, again, it, it all comes down again to the people realizing, right? the business realizing that there's a lot of benefits they can have by doing more things online, whether it's their procurement, their lending, their sales, their marketing, and all of that, I think will reshape some of the financial services they would prefer to use. And in a way, I think it's, uh, it's also an, an accelerating factor. I think it's like... Got you. That makes a lot of sense. I guess being able to start from a solid, sustainable base gives you a really good opportunity to take advantage of all the digitization and shifts in consumer behavior that was really accelerated by COVID in Indonesia. That makes a lot of sense. Adrian, maybe on on that theme, what are some of the opportunities that, that you yourself see moving forward in the Indonesian fintech scene? I think when you think about fintech, maybe first what we can usefully do is we draw a analogy from how big the existing financial services sector is, right? If you look at the top 10 largest um, companies uh, in Indonesia by market cap, four or five of them are banks, right? And they constitute over $120 billion. At least it was before COVID. I don't know the exact number now, but a lot of, a lot of value uh, is there, right? Over $100 billion uh, of value. And generally, a bank you can think of is a collection of different products, everything from a cons- consumer product of payments to savings to lending, uh, you know, to uh, insurance, uh, to wealth management, and so on. And what fintech generally does is it unbundles a lot of what the banks have. 
And so you can see that now, you know, you have uh, fintech companies that do payments. You've got fintech companies that you know, they do lending and uh, wealth management and, and so on. What I think we're going to start seeing is, you know, in the start, if we think about the next three to five years, is that the, you know, any of these players that started in these uh, vertical segments or products will get to a scale where they can be thinking about expanding their suite of products and may be able to develop into a, uh, you call a new a neo bank or a digital first bank uh, that will not only be able to offer one product but a suite of products. Uh, to be it consumers or uh, SMEs. And I think that's uh, an interesting space uh, to be looking out for. Of course, that will have to come with probably you know, making sure you have the requisite licenses and, and so on to be able to do that. But I think it is a very exciting space, uh, especially when it comes to being able to address, again, a much broader uh, kind of uh, untapped market uh, with uh, both consumers and SMEs. I think uh, within the verticals, I think insurance as well as you know, personal finance and wealth management. These are areas which are you know newer, and there have been investments that have been done in the I guess the last twelve eighteen months in this space. But you know, these are relatively on the more mature side of you know generalized fintech products. But I think that there is also a lot of potential in those areas. Uh, last uh, but not least, I mentioned earlier this idea of fintech adjacencies. So products and companies which create products that are used by either SMEs or consumers that can then uh, garner sufficient uh, information such that they, they can offer financial services uh, to those users, I think is one that is of uh, particular interest. We've seen some of these models come out in India, uh, examples of companies like Kata uh, Book, Udan, and, uh, and Cred. And I think there are similar models that could be done in Indonesia as well. Got you. That's very exciting and, and definitely a reflection of the fact that, you know, being able to see what happens in multiple markets really gives you an insight into what some of the more interesting business models could be down the road. Thank you so much, Ben, Adrian, for sharing about CoinWorks, about AC Ventures, and about Indonesia and the opportunities there. It was really great having you on the podcast. Thanks, Chair. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you, Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.